1: To inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast this week is Graham Mills co-founder and CEO of TechSport.
0: We were set up about three years ago, really recognizing that, first of all, knowledge in many ways is how companies stay competitive and make some of the most important decisions around the world today. Really access the high-quality knowledge on demand. Yet, while we realized the huge importance of this knowledge exchange and access, the way through which companies and individuals were identifying and accessing it felt like it was designed in the 90s and remained in the 90s. And the way yeah. people currently go about solving these is, is, one, they ask if someone in their company has done it before. And if not, then they either pay a lot to a consultancy to go away and do an eight-week project, or they just yeah. Google it. The challenge is, when you're Googling, the information you look at is probably because someone is paid to be the top of Google SEO
1: and after it's not necessarily the right insight for your type of product and your type of company at that time. This is Graham. He's a scientist by training. He completed his PhD in pancreatic cancer chemoresistance resistance at the University of Cambridge, having further worked scientifically in R&D, at Genentech and Avidity Biosciences. His commercial experience comes from roles in venture capital at both Johnson & Johnson Corporate Venture Fund, as well as Soroba Life Sciences. He co-founded smoking secession startup AldiCare in 2014, followed a year later by BioTexpert, which evolved today to techspert.io Texpert.io was born out of the frustration with the challenges in connecting to the right experts at the right time current solutions on the market have evolved based on decades old principles closed networks and manual subjective matching which make it error-prone biased slow and highly costly a was founded to solve this and their approach inspired me hence i invited graham to my podcast We explore why our ability to make better, more informed decisions on the topics that really matter, needs a complete overhaul, and how this can spark competitive advantage. We also dig deeper into the question, what is the secret to create a remarkable software business? By listening to this interview, you will learn three things. Firstly, how one way to grow value and defensible differentiation is to focus on quality and objectivity over volume and bias. And Secondly, By focusing on playing the infinite game is going to bring you further than trying to win the short-term game. And thirdly, that growing your empathy skill is key to deliver remarkable value. Not only understanding the pain point, but also deeply understand how your customer feels, what they care about, and what powers they have to deal with. Graham, thank you very much for making the time available today and be a guest on my podcast.
0: Yeah, thank you very much for the invite. Very excited to chat a little bit about what we're doing as well. Thank you.
1: Exactly. Well, I mean, I found your companies through an email that I get on a regular basis, which is highlighting companies that are doing interesting things around technology. And of course, that's what I'm highly focused on and that gets me going. So I checked out your company and I found out that what you do is exactly what what fits the purpose of the podcast. But before we go into the detail about what you're doing at the end, a little bit about you. If you would describe yourself as a person in two or three words, what would those words be?
0: <laughs> Great question. Ambitious, I would say, of course. And the weaker element would be obsessive. I think, to be honest, they're probably both qualities that are needed to start a company. But it's probably how I describe myself.
1: Okay, obsessive. That's the first one I hear. That one. <laughs> but if it's in obsessive about, you know kind of achieving the goal perfect that i agree with you that's definitely a characteristic to have or a trait to have talking about something else that i've been writing about so yeah i mean your company taxpert when i looked at your website in the about it instantly highlights what i would call a very big problem but i shouldn't talk me talking about it can you explain what is the big idea behind your company
0: yeah absolutely so a expert, we were set up about three years ago Really recognizing that, first of all, knowledge in many ways is how companies stay competitive and make some of the most important decisions around the world today. And really access the high-quality knowledge on demand. Yet, while we realized the huge importance of this knowledge exchange and access, the way through which companies individuals were identifying and accessing it felt like it was designed in the 90s and remained in the 90s. So people were usually going for you know, people, a friend of a friend who would tell them about a topic, where they'd be going to some of the large traditional players in the space like GLG, who are kind of like you've a Rolodex and put that network online. Yeah. But what none of these companies were doing is they weren't, first of all, asking the question theoretically, who is the best person or who are the best people in the world for me to be speaking with based on wanting to learn about this topic? And so what we really got set up to do is to bring a layer of objectivity and access to the area of knowledge exchange. Very briefly, we do that by building a technology that really moves away from the network-centric model of finding experts and finding expertise. And instead, we have a technology that crawls public information online from millions and millions of structured, unstructured data sets and tries to understand objectively who are the leading experts based on data and then connecting them with
1: our clients. Okay. So this is actually going beyond the walls of a company because I was thinking that the same problem also exists within a company. That a lot of people have a lot of knowledge but it's not captured in a system.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. I have an interesting example of how much a problem that is. So about a year and a half ago, we did a project for a client, a huge multinational. They wanted to learn about kind of reimbursement practices for a certain drug in the US. This was a London-based team. And when we ran our system to figure out who the experts were, interestingly, one of the top individuals was from within the same company, but within a different country. And so we ended up facilitating a connection for two individuals in the same company. And it was very useful knowledge exchange, but they never would have found them from internal process. Yeah, so, exactly. yeah, you're absolutely right. That's a problem as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, I used to work for a company in the Netherlands, and uh, I mean, a common problem was the knowledge of certain, uh, certain consultants who were excellent in what they were doing, but they also were very protective about what they really knew. Yes. <laughs> so yes, exactly. And when those people leave, then that is a big loss. So, yeah, excellent. And it's great that you kind of go far beyond the walls of a company because at the end, sometimes it's, this knowledge isn't available within the company or actually you actually want to have something from the outside to be able to level up. So I always like to understand what is the impact of this. So if companies start to use this, or if we start to use this in the right possible way, what is the opportunity here? So
0: I guess like fundamentally what we want to do is help companies make better, more informed decisions in any type of decision they're making within their company. So for example, let's say your company is based in the US and they're launching a product in the UK. So there's obviously a lot of considerations on how best to launch, how to get user buy and how to make sure you navigate the regulatory landscape correctly and so on.
1: And the way people
0: currently go about solving these is, is one, they ask if someone in their company has done it before. And if not, then they either pay a lot to a consultancy to go away and do an eight week project. Or they just Google yeah. it. And then the, the real point is pretty much everyone just Googles it. The challenge is when you're Googling it, the information you look at is probably because someone is paid to be the top of Google SEO and advertising. It's not necessarily the right insight for your type of product and your type of company at that time. Uh-huh. So what we're allowing companies to do is just make sure that when they have important decisions to make, whatever they are, that they're accessing only the current, most accurate and relevant advice to help support them. Um, If I'm going to give a very brief case study, so obviously right now in the world, everybody's talking about coronavirus. This is a field that's evolving so rapidly that's often very difficult to understand at this moment in time, who is the real expert and how do we know they're an expert? So a platform like ours, when you come with a request through us, we don't store data from the past. We interrogate data in real time, which means we can tell you right now who are the leading experts for different areas of coronavirus. That means you get the best insight when you need it and not necessarily who was the best expert three years ago. for that.
1: Interesting. But at the end, it does need to be published. It does need to be public domain, or at least people need to be referred to someone more about the topic. Correct?
0: So is your question about how we identify the people? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I think this is a really important question. How A lot of companies who operate in our space, they're very human-centric, and they principally use data sets like LinkedIn to try and find the right people. Now... That's fine for many cases. The real importance, though, is that you're using objective data where possible. Because, for example, I can create a LinkedIn profile now, and I can put down that I'm CEO of Walmart, for example. I'm obviously not, but it just illustrates a layer of subjectivity in the information people provide on LinkedIn. So what our system allows us to do is just move away from using subjective data, move towards objective
1: data that really tells us what an individual knows, and use this to qualify. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I've been involved with a couple of, sometimes I get calls from companies that are looking for experts, typically in the venture capital space for companies that want to do particular yeah, acquisitions or or takeovers. And So I know the concept, but I mean, you can apply this so much broader than just that space. So you said the company started three years ago around with the idea. The yeah. solution is now on the marketplace. So from a technology perspective, what do you believe, what did you do to the solution to make it deliver? Yeah results in a remarkable way. What's special about it that you didn't find in the market, but that you had to create yourself?
0: Yeah, really good question. So let me just tell you a little bit about how this industry has traditionally been set up. So we operate in primarily the primary market research, very often referred to as the expert network space. And all yeah. the large companies who started in the mid-90s and have grown up till now, have really built their power by having the largest network of individuals. And one of our biggest competitors, GLG, if you go onto their homepage, they will tell you they have 700,000 individuals right now. Exactly. Which is great. The challenge is when you really want specific expertise somewhere in the world, when you get quite niche in who you're looking for, the likelihood of having specifically the best individual to speak with within a pre-assembled network that was pre-assembled based on data that was used 10 years ago means that you're probably not connecting to the right person. So what we believe in this space is, and more than I think any other company has to date, is that the real way to facilitate effective knowledge exchange efficiently is through the use of data, through the use of kind of objective criteria to find people, but also very importantly, using an automated system to recruit and solicit, which allows companies at a much quicker speed and much higher volume source the insights they need when they need it, as opposed to waiting a little bit longer. Yeah. other companies in this space haven't really moved to more of a technological approach. The challenge is they're very reliant on their human associates to do a lot of the searching, which means that a transition to a technological approach becomes a little bit
1: challenging to their existing operational model. And so many times that's the case. You know, that yeah. you got something and you think it's good enough. And then companies yeah. like you come along. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. And like, I'll be open. Like We have a belief. in the future technology is going to really help share knowledge around the world and help us innovate but there are like -hmm. many startups there's a chance that that won't work and that won't
1: fail but at least that's our belief within the space yeah interesting so what decisions have been really important on your way so far So what decisions have
0: been important? So I think when we started about three years ago, there were a couple of other smaller companies who started around the same time. We invested quite heavily in building out technological advantage and leadership, which as you can imagine, is a very expensive thing to do in that technological hires cost more and take longer to return revenue to business. Now, we had other kind of early stage companies that started at the same time who have on the flip side, invested very heavily in building up sales force, building up business development force, and building business that way. Which meant from the start, their revenue numbers have grown quicker than ours have at that point in time. So we kind of reached a point, okay, look, we know we're a venture-backed company. We need to scale our revenue. Should we start really investing in this commercial function to grow? And while we have done that to an extent, our decision was really to think, look, this is a long-term play. We think long-term is technological leadership, not an extra revenue number that's going to help us win. And so for us, the decision was to maintain our
1: investment in probably the more costly area of technological yeah. development. But the hope is obviously that's what helped. Let me make a small interruption here. Dream just made an excellent remark about his realization that his business is there to play a relevant role in the infinite game rather to win the short-term game. This mindset is a fundamental one and one that characterizes remarkable software businesses. It underpins the viability of your company, allows you to battle complacency, and increases your ability to continually grow customer lifetime value, and therefore turn customers into fans. This is something you can master as well. And to make the first step, I'd recommend you to buy my book The Remarkable Effect on any portal out there where they sell books online. But if you want to understand where you stand, and whether your business is suffering from complacency already, simply do the test. You can find the test on valueinspiration.com remarkable index. Back to the interview. I applaud for you for doing that, going for the results and the impact first, and then the success will follow from there. Yeah, it's a difficult one to do, right? Because everybody it knows is. revenue. Yeah, exactly. I can imagine that's a tough decision. So you're now in the market, you're growing customers. One of the things that I. Recently, had a discussion on, on the tribe that I'm running with other tech entrepreneurs. Is, you know, kind of unlocking growth or what's holding you back from growing? Yeah. I find that a always a very interesting question. What do you believe is at this moment your biggest hurdle to create your tipping point?
0: Yeah, and so obviously, as you know, we raised our Series A investment round over the last yeah. few months. We announced it last week. So for us, this is a core question right now. What are the challenges we face, and how can we deploy this capital to solve? So I could talk in a range of kind of specific technological hurdles, but in particular, one uh, more commercial-focused hurdle faced last year is we've been successful in getting some really kind of well-known names, high-growing accounts, but we always felt like our growth within the account wasn't necessarily the speed that we thought we, we, would, we would achieve, and I think that's because we kind of grew passively within. Now, something I think we wanted to focus on is how do we understand these companies better? How do we understand their sensitivities? And most importantly, how do we build our technology to really solve the things that matter? And so part of that was the identification app. But a huge pain point customers within the space faced is they really hated the existing process for engaging with companies such as ours. You would submit a request, you'd have to speak for 15 minutes on the phone with someone who doesn't really understand the area, They'll yeah. type it in, they'll message people on LinkedIn, they then have to speak to the experts. What that meant is that they ended up getting through profiles and experts who really weren't the right people. So for us, we've been really focusing right now on building out our customer success function and our relationship management function. So making sure that not only are we building a solution that delivers a better output, but making sure that we do it in a more effective, more purpose-built process that our clients enjoy using. And interestingly, that's giving us a competitive advantage as much as the technology is as well.
1: I can surely agree with that. <laughs> it's, yeah. One of the people that I interviewed recently on my podcast is the CEO from Sensing. He made entity relationship management, like who is who in your data, p- possibly something related to what you're doing. It's always been a very complex process, but we try to de- democratize it and make it dissolve under your tongue. I love that connection there. Yes, that's um, a, good, a, good, a good phrase as well. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's creating those moments that matter. If you make that Special or way beyond expectation, like so easy, that will help you start to create momentum. From the customers that you got so far, what is an anecdote that made you really proud in terms of what they achieved with it?
0: Yeah, so depending on kind of what quality, whether it's speed, volume, precision, etc., I was to touch on. I give you some different examples. But I think one that really felt we had a powerful solution was very early on in the company. So I think early on in the company, you're, kind of, you're still figuring out, do clients actually want what you have? Or do they actually see value in it? So it's very much kind of trying to get that approval from them that you're doing something well. So one of our first clients, a big, large London-based consultancy, came to us and, and they wanted to speak to 40 individuals who worked in private healthcare practice across Latin America, Asia, and Europe over the Christmas period. And they wanted to speak to these physicians about how they treated this certain rare disorder. And the problem is these people were traditionally in private practice. They very often didn't have professional grade English, which made it challenging. But because this was the first project they did with us, and they were excited to try it, they also used their existing vendor, one of the big players in space that they'd used for a long time, just in case we didn't manage. Now, we had a two-week period to get 40 individuals. We'd never done anything in the space before. We didn't even really know what the disease was. But thankfully, that doesn't matter because our technology does and is able to find these people. So, over a two week period, over Christmas period, we were able to, we ended up, I think it was 47 interviews they had through us in the end, when the existing competitor only had four. And those four individuals total, they managed to send them through. Wow. I think the reason we were able to do it is because we have access to much more people than any network based model has, and that we have millions and millions of individuals, which means that even for high quota, difficult periods, we can continue to generate volume whilst never compromising our quality. And just being able to deliver an order of magnitude more than a traditional large player we were fearful of in many ways, that at least gave us a sense that, you know what, in some ways, there are things we can really differentiate on. And that's what we want to exactly. focus on.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it has two angles to this. It's, uh, first of all, having more depth so that you find more. But if there are too many, because some areas, of course, there are many experts around there in the world then you can find the best, which is a kind of the prioritization issue again. Yeah, Interesting. And sometimes having access to those people is so critical to a decision that a company has to take because at the end, you know, otherwise you're back to assumptions and gut feel yeah. and these type of things.
0: What, what I find funny is like you mentioned early on in this call, like very often it's like private equity and company making big investment decisions. Like these decisions they're making are potentially worth tens or hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Exactly. And for a decision that could be worth so much, then not making sure not being diligent on getting the right information can just have catastrophic
1: consequences. That's true. Yeah, and you're always trying to look for information that is often not on paper and you need a lot more nuance around it. Exactly. So interesting. So I recently published my first book. It's called The Remarkable Effect and it reveals the 10 traits of a remarkable software business. So I always like to kind of end with a question to the guest on my podcast. What do you believe are one or two of the most important traits to create a remarkable software business? I'll so. give you one that I imagine a
0: lot of people give, and I'll try and give you one that's maybe a little bit distinct. So I think to begin with, resilience, of course. Um, I think we pivoted maybe hundreds of times, and we still pivot month in, month out. And I think as soon as you stop having that resilience, that look, markets are going to change, buying decisions, you might not fully understand them. It's about making sure you keep on iterating your model slightly, being resilient, that in the end, as long as you keep on doing this, you'll find a solution. Now, that's probably a more common one, maybe a less common one, something I personally believe is immensely important, both in how you work within a company and with your clients, is empathy. I think empathy as it relates to, let's say it's managing a team, really understanding the diverse opinions and cultures you have within a company and understanding how to get these individuals to work together well based on your understanding of the background. But also very much empathy with the clients. I think very often sales can become a game of telling the client, you need our product, and you remove a little bit of this, okay, what does a client feel? What are their pain yeah. points? What do they care about? Exactly. What power do they have within their company? So I think empathy within kind of customers, and you could also say for investors, for example, are probably key elements to builds longevity of the company. And bear in mind, this is said from an individual who has yet to have longevity because we're still young, we're still growing. But sure. at least this is what I anticipate would be a valuable.
1: No, I mean, and I completely agree with that, that empathy is such an underestimated power, well, for so many things that you already mentioned, internally and externally, the whole empathy skill that the people sometimes lack, and if they create it, that's about finding your ideal customer. And that goes far beyond the normal demographics. It's indeed yeah. about how what people care about, believe, aspire, and it's yeah really standing in their shoes. Very good. Yeah. Well, so what's next for you? Where do you want to be in 12 to 24 months time? Obviously, this is a pretty key question for us right now. We started historically within
0: the healthcare space. It's where my and co-founder's background is. is. But I think what we realized as we grew and we looked at the technology we were building, that while it was very powerful of finding insights within healthcare, the core models we built were industry agnostic in nature. So the same way we find an expert in healthcare. We can do it in oil and gas. We can do it in industrials and so on. So for us, like, a key element, after showing that we have some strong scalability, or repeatability within healthcare, it's about really showing that we can do projects and support knowledge exchange in other industries as well. We've already begun doing it. So We did a project a few months ago where we helped clients speak to Kentucky-based dairy farmers on their perspectives on different software solutions. So we can go <laughs> a little bit out there as well. But for us over the next 12, 24 months, it's really showing that we can scale in these other segments. As well, very briefly, we plan to open our first office over in the
1: U.S. Okay, nice. Well, I'll keep following you. So, where can people go to find out more about experts and to connect with you and say hi?
0: So, uh, shoot me a message on LinkedIn or find me on the Graham Mills there. I'm always happy to speak. I'm really obviously interested in the space and I love hearing about other people's solutions to it as well. You can also find a little bit more information on our website. Shoot us a message there. Um, otherwise, just, just glad to connect.
1: Okay. Well, it was a pleasure speaking to you. I learned a couple of things that make me think, actually. So, you inspired a couple of things here. Um, thanks for your time. No problem. Likewise, Tom. Thank you. And this finalizes our interview for today. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And talking about that, please share your thoughts about what Graham and I discussed. And if you liked it and got inspired by it, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs that you have in your network. Other than that, thanks for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Graham Mills, co-founder and CEO of TechSpurt. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, To inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect Tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode.
0: That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware. When your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The
1: moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come through. The post-Cold War era is over.
0: Dotcom The Hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dotcom, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.